Hi, I'm Jason Sachs. Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. This week, the final part of my six-part interview conducted with famed comics writer-editor Jim Shooter, conducted with Eric Hoffman and Dominic Grace. In this chapter, we discuss why John Byrne hates Shooter, Chris Claremont's intense commitment to characters, the corrupt practice of lapping, um, the practice of freelancing later in life, and much, much more. It's a fascinating hour I think you will really enjoy, and it starts right after this ad. Can I ask what Byrne thinks you did to him? Uh, I told him no a couple times. Because you made him millions, millions of dollars, right? Millions. And even when he went to DC and did Superman, he made millions of dollars. In effect, because you helped him build his career. Yeah, he didn't do that well with Superman, but but he did. Uh, we made it, basically John wanted to get away with stuff. Anyway, Michael Michael apologized. Sorry, I don't mean to destroy me. And. Uh, and I said, I said, you know, someday, Michael, I'm going to be sitting behind some desk with the checkbook. I said, and there'll be lots of people lined up. And so Disney goes on and fails. Um, he kept calling me and asking me consulting questions anyway. And I'm like, okay. Like, uh, about which editor chief to hire and this and that. And, uh, um, but anyway, so then Valiant was really starting to take off. Disney had failed. And he called me up and he said, if you ever start another company, he said, I want to invest and I want to be on the board. I said, sure. And he did. He was on the board of the client and invested. Huh. But uh, yeah, with Byrne, I mean, I, basically, Byrne, um, he, uh, at first, you know, we were, as far as I knew, friends and uh, never had a problem. You saw him at Roger's wedding, we were buddies. We were yeah. Um, but it's like, as he started to get more, when he first started out, he wasn't instantly popular. You know, it was until really the X-Men really took off and mm -hmm. started to make a mark. And then he kind of had this idea, well, I'm a made man, and I can do whatever I want. And I had to occasionally tell him no. And um, he and a few others sort of gravitated toward Denny O'Neill and to Mike Carlin, because Denny O'Neill and Mike Carlin didn't do their jobs. If, if Byrne was doing it, then he just ignored it, and Byrne did whatever he wanted. One of the things he did was he did a story that debunked a story that Chris had done. Like, Chris had did a story with Dr. Doom, John did the Fantastic Four. He was upset he didn't like Chris's story. So he did a story to prove that the Dr. Doom and Chris's story was actually a defective robot. Oh, yeah. You know, and uh, Chris was furious, and now he wants to fire back, I said, no. It. it stops here, you know. And I told John, "Don't do anything like that again." And I told Denny, "I said, let stuff like this happen, I will fire you." Because I'd warned him, warn him a lot of times. Denny would only just sit there and do his freelancing, let his assistant editors do everything. He never even looked at most of the books. <laughs> and uh, uh, so uh, after I told him, that's the last warning. You know, you've got to stop doing your freelance on staff time. You've got to start reading books, start doing the job, start you know making sure that these guys are not doing crazy stuff. Well, immediately after that, John Byrne 
delivers a complete edition, finished, never been seen by anyone in the office before, of the Hulk. One, all one splash table, pages. Right. All splash pages. Mm -hmm. But then he takes a look back and says, Shooter's going to lose his mind. <laughs> and so he rejects it. And John got all upset. He's calling the president of the company. He's demanding my head on the plate. He's calling Hobson. He's doing, he's throwing a fit. And, uh, um, and, and P.S., then he, even though he was doing, trying to get me fired, he was at the same time he went to D.C., and that's when he made his deal to do Superman. So I'm telling Mike what, you know, what went on, and he says, he's got to fire Denny right now. Go, go fire him. And I said, I said, well, you know, it's Denny O'Neill, and Denny's fired him. Sorry. He's fired Got a job with D.C. pretty soon. A lot of people were upset with me. Walt was upset with me. Other people, how could you do that? Said, you don't know what's going on. You know, how would, you know, you don't know what the deal was. So, it turned out that I'd never seen this book before. I was there. Well, anyway, somebody threw it in the drawer. Because John didn't take it with him. Somebody threw it in the drawer. And uh, so, a long time later, Milgram, digging around through drawers for some reason, comes up with this book. And he comes to me and says, well, I hear you hate this. He said, but I think it's pretty good. I said, what is it? He shows him. He said, I've never seen this. I said, I, I can't hate something unless I get to see it. Right. He says, well, what do you think? I said, it's fine. It's great. <laughs> Seems all right to me. You know, Much ado about really it. really well drawn. It's yeah. actually a nice little story. <laughs> he said, well, can I run it in fanfare? I said, yeah. I said, if John goes along with it, because I don't think we ever paid him, you know. And uh, yeah, I said, yeah, that's fine. I said, you know, pan fanfare pays special rates, and we'll give him a bonus on top of that, because it will help us sell some books. You know, if you can work it out with them, fine. So they ran in fanfare. They ran in fanfare. It's fine. You know, I had no problem with that book. Then he just thought, oh, God, you know, when Trooper sees this, he's going to lose his mind. And, and then <sighs> rejected it, and then joined his fury. Oh, God. That so that was that was one thing. But also, Sorry? I guess a lot of times, John would want to do something. I don't think, it might be. I can't remember. I only wrote two chapters in the 80s book. Might have been in the chapter I didn't write. Yeah, Chris, Chris was like that, too. Chris would do stuff once in a while. Uh, he had the transvestite bondage scene in, in the X-Men. And I, and I said, no, Chris, can't. So he'd be furious at me for a while. Chris, however, we would fight with cats and dogs sometimes. But years later, I ran into him in San Diego. It wasn't in Marvel anymore. I don't know what I was doing. I guess Valiant. Ran into San Diego, and he hated me, you know, towards the end of Marvel. He comes running over, shakes me. Jim, how you doing? You know? Was a trap, you know? Are you warm? And um, and he said, "Are oh, you going to come to this party tonight?" You know. And I said, "Well, I don't know. I guess so." And he says, "Oh yeah, come on. I want to see you there." You know. Okay. It's so I went yeah, to. Yeah, it's recounted in here exactly as as Jim just. Oh, that's funny. Who wrote that chapter? Was that? I, I, don't, I, I don't know. Eighty-six is mine. You did. I keep <laughs> I keep coming out with the stars over my head. So, so Chris and Sandy, <laughs> you saw. Yeah, I never even saw the rejected book. It says. <laughs> I do remember that story. So, so yeah. I want to I want to talk to you. I said, okay. I'm thinking, what the hell? <laughs> so I go to the party, and and this is after they taken the X Men away from him and given it to Jim Lee. They kicked off the X Men. And. Um, and we're talking, and he said, he said, you know, we used to fight a lot. And I said, yeah, I remember. And he said, he said, but we always fought about stories. And isn't that what you're supposed to fight about? 
editors and writers. Right. I said, yeah. He said, uh, you know, you weren't like, taking my book away. You weren't, you know, you were just right. about the stories, and that's what you're supposed to do. And I said, yeah, that's, you know, I'm fine with arguing with the writer about a story. But uh, so anyway, we became friends, and he actually did some work for me. Well, yeah, Claremont had X-Men taken away from him. Yeah. It was one of the most traumatic uh, professional events he ever had yeah, in his did, life. That book on top of the industry for 17 years, and they take it away from him. They took away from a guy who had literally drawn like four or five issues of it before that. Yeah, and the thing is, like, Chris, Chris poured so much into that book. I mean, he paid out of his own pocket royalties to Glennis Oliver and Tom Morsikowski so he could keep consistent color and consistent learning. And... Uh, he was, anytime there was, he needed an artist, he was out there bird-dogging artists. He'd come to me and say, you know, uh, uh, JR's leaving, I want to get this guy's policy. Mm -hmm. You know, he'd always go find a guy. Right. Uh, yeah, he definitely had. I only found one for him. I was at Chicago looking for stuff with this kid, Mark Silvestri. He was pretty good. You know? mm -hmm. And so I said, hey, Chris, I said, yeah, I said you know, you want to look at this guy's stuff, you know? And so he goes over and Mark shows him the stuff because we've got to get him. I said, well, yeah, all right, fine. You know, I talked to your editor. He's on the phone, whoever it was. Sent the evening, or the wings, I'm not sure at that point. But sure enough, he worked for us for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, basically, he was out there. You know, anytime we, we had to get a new artist, he, he found us a good one. I didn't have to worry. I mean, he was so dedicated to that book and making that book as good as it could be and making it consistent. And the lettering always was... Or the Gowski, and the coloring was nice, and, and uh, you know, Cord's hey. he earned that, you know, and he did it for, he kept that book on the top of the industry for 17 years, and uh, and then they take it away. The first day, Jim Lee's drawing it, and he decides he doesn't like Chris's plots, so now Jim Lee's in the plot, Chris right. is just going to the dialogue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then they take it away from him entirely, because Lee says, well, I can like this, who needs this guy? Well, no, then John Byrne wrote two issues. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, and then, and Byrne, there's a quote in a very early issue of Wizard where he says, this is going to pay my mortgage, and then very quickly left the book because uh, Lee was turning his pages literally at the last minute. Like, th he was incredibly late with his work yeah, because, you know, it didn't matter. So then he, he, the writing chores actually went to Scott Lobdell. Lee never actually wrote the book. That's how Lobdell got his start. He got pages over a weekend. And um, was pu pushed into action, get it done, and make a nice check, or uh, move on to the next writer. Uh, I talked to Claremont a year and a half ago. And I do a lot of interviews. Yeah. You can see, you can tell I have a passion for this. Um, and I've talked to dozens of writers. Claremont is the most committed to character of anybody I've spoken yeah. to. I mean, it's Chris, really Chris striking. Has, Chris has he's a little story challenge sometimes. He's a little architecture challenge. You know. He, he needs some structural help, you know, but, but in, invested in those characters. When he would uh, write up one of his plots, I keep describing the, the, the brand of uh, blue jeans the person had, mm -hmm. exactly where the little rips and tears were, and I mean, you know, it's like Chris. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, he, he was, he really had those characters realized in his mind, and he wanted them on the paper that way, and he, he did, uh, he worked, he worked, he just outworked everything. Mm -hmm. He really worked hard. And the things that, uh, when he did need help with the story or structure or, or something like that, he was very lucky. He had Louise and he had Ann. And then me looking over their shoulders. 
And so they helped them a lot, you know, and uh, um, and I chipped in once in a while, and uh, they pretty did pretty well, I'd say. You know? Yeah. <laughs> pretty well. Well, Joss Whedon made a career out of ripping them off. <laughs> and, and, and a couple of years ago, Chris and I were out in Denver together. Chuck had us both out there. He has like a mega store. It's, it's almost like a convention every weekend. And uh, so we were out there together. I hadn't seen him for years. And we, we had a chance to sit and talk and hang out and stuff. But it was great. It was nice. He had a minor stroke. Oh, yeah. yeah. Claremont did? Yeah. yeah. He, it affected his speech a little bit. And... Uh, he also he lost some strength in his limbs. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, it's pretty sad when I'm helping you with your luggage, you know. But uh, uh, he, uh, but on the on the other hand, it, it got him on a health kick and he lost weight. And, you know, he's been taking care of himself better. Good. He seems okay. I mean, he just, he just doesn't uh, talk as well as he used to. Anyway, uh, yeah, good guy. I like this. So, always like. Stuck with him, and him uh, even though I wouldn't let him put uh, some of the X-Men French maid costumes. <laughs> well, he did that after I left. He yeah. Actually, he did an issue where they were in French maid costumes. <laughs> just, just to, you know, stick his tongue out. <laughs> oh, come on, Chris. It's the bondage stuff. But, you know, good guy. He was very lucky to get the Louise, and, and it was really funny. If I would tell him to do something, then we'd have an argument. Well, I don't know why, I don't know why. Of course, you can see they all know this, and so you can tell them. You and Rosansky, oh, sorry. Anne or Louise would tell them. So, mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. I mean, just like Norton, okay. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> well, Lisa, Louise has long credits, too. She did lots in the industry before she got the X-Men books. Claremont did have a thing about strong women, so. Yeah. Yes. Well, and, and boy, he picked a couple of toughies there. Yeah. And Anne and Louise, and, you know, Louise in the sweetest way, but she took no prisoners. She, she, she's the nicest. She, she would eviscerate you with a smile. <laughs> she was great. And Anne the same way. She, she was just, uh, she was Louise's assistant, I think, for a little while. And uh, she became a very, uh, very tough editor. She did a couple crazy things. I mean, like, I get called on the carpet for this, this cover. I actually didn't even work there anymore. <laughs> but uh, the cover was done while under my alleged watch. <clears throat> Art Adams done. It's just this white queen bursting out of her top and all that stuff. <laughs> and I said, Ann, how did you let this go? She said, you should have seen it before I fixed it. <laughs> said, nice. That time, it was right at, right, that was just uh, happening when I was, uh, weeks before I left there. And uh, uh, so I get fired. And uh, I came into the office some days later to pick up stuff or whatever. And the uh, first person I run into was Pam Rod, the PR. She says, oh, God. She said, do you see what's on the news? I said, no. And she said, well, they held up that cover on the 700 Club. Can you 
Oh, and well. She says, and now, you know, all the newspapers and the wire services, I said, well, I haven't been paying attention to these sites. She said, I will never, ever, ever again let Tom DeFalco talk to anyone. <laughs> and because he did, he didn't, he didn't know how to handle it. She said, you were so good at handling, you know, things like that. And I said, yeah, mostly keep your mouth shut. <laughs> um, and and, uh, uh, and then uh, apparently they also talked to Galt, you know, and he also put his foot in his mouth. And of course, that just, you know, gasoline on the fire. Mm -hmm. I said, well, you know, you know where I am. But nice little shot and throw it. Um, yeah, but you know, it's like, you know, uh, I don't know what the, the doctor said, but what you do is. is uh, you know, when they start asking, like, well, what, what kind of message are you sending children with this, you know? And uh, you, you, you don't say, oh, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's tits and ass, it, but, you know. <laughs> no, 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 we just do entertainment. We're, you know, we're just trying to, you know, tell an exciting story, you know. Superheroes are all handsome, well-built men. See, I sometimes think that the best thing for comics creators is to work outside of comics so they can appreciate what the real world is like. I mean, I often like hear these stories. And like I mentioned, I've, I've, worked, I've been in software for 20 years. I've worked for bosses at real companies where we have to produce products that our consumers will like. And I hear these stories about comics and I think, my world is so disconnected from these, right? I, I continually have gotten negative feedback from my bosses, and I don't go storming off and, and making a fuss because my boss said no to me about something. Right, it's just yeah. part of life. I said, yeah, when, when, uh, uh, when I was there, it was like, you know, uh, it was almost like the Saturday, well, who are you to tell me anything? Well, I'm the boss. So, yeah. You know, but, but anyway, I did have the privilege of doing some work outside of because the first time I left DC Comics, because I couldn't stand more Right. I worked for Marvel. You mentioned that. I couldn't afford to live in New York. So I gave it up and went back to Pittsburgh. And I, I had a day job, but I, I ended up kind of miraculously getting to work at an advertising agency because they were doing some comics format ads. And they, so they said, hey, let's call that kid who does comics who's on TV once in a while when that's a slow news day. You know? And so they, they tracked me down. And I did a whole bunch of ads for U.S. Steel and other I did the Levi's jeans. I did a whole bunch of things. Do you have any copies of any of that? That would be yeah, wonderful. To... Okay. We should blog. grab from them for the yeah. book. I have, I, I, you know, somewhere I've got the stuff there. But, but anyway, uh, so I did a few few things, you know, like that. Uh, and, you know, you learn. I mean, like, you better deliver what the client wants, you know. And you better do what the copy chief tells you. You know, mm -hmm. you know and um, so... And at DC, it was kind of like that, too. You listen to the boss. Mm -hmm. you know, Mort was mean about it, but, but you know, you listen. And you did what you were supposed to do. Um, it, it's, it's actually odd. I, I run a lot of meetings where I say no to people. And it, it, you actually get more respect if you do that. Well, like, I uh, find that when I come back and say yes to something similar, it, there's, like, a weight behind it. It means something. People yeah, appreciate I, I it more. And also, Archie Goodman taught me something. He was very sparse with his confidence. Very, very seldom. I mean, he'd say, okay, there was something in that. But if Archie ever said, that's nice. You felt like a million dollars. Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, so I learned like not to be so 
you know, free with the praise. Because, I mean, at first I was like trying to build their egos up and make them happy, and they never no, no. Second, I, I, if I had to do all over again, I kept trying to keep everybody happy. I kept trying to say yes as much as I could. I kept trying to, like, like uh, uh, not be the big meanie that Mort was. And uh, I should have been a little stricter. I should have been, uh, uh, for instance, I, I, I delegated too much stuff to the editors. I let them kind of pick their own artists and stuff like that. Some of them made bad choices. And I, I kind of given them the authority, and I didn't want to take it away. And so I'd sit down and talk to them, and you know, not, not hear them. Um, but, uh, but contrast Roy. Roy ruled with an iron hand. I mean, Roy, tough guy. You know, I mean, he uh, uh, he fired people because they didn't worship him. I mean, he, uh, Claremont, for instance, Claremont wanted to use Red Sonia in Marvel Team Up. He was writing Team Up at the time. And he wanted to use Red Sonia, which was one of the boys, Conan characters. And so he, you know, I mean, he asked Roy. Very nice, very polite. They talked about it for a while. Roy said yes. So then I'm in Chicago, Chris is in Chicago, there's a panel. Roy is not there. And uh, he's on a panel, and someone asks him the question, who are your influences? And so Chris starts listing his influences. So there's some science fiction writer, there's some, you know, whoever, J.D. Salinger, he's whatever, he's, whoever, he names a bunch of writers. And he's still in the process of naming writers. And then he's cut off. He doesn't get to finish. Other people are talking. Roy heard that he hadn't been mentioned, and so he took Red Sonja with him. And I, I, I said, well, Chris, I'm not going to let that happen. It's not Roy's character, it's Marvel's character, and you will you can go ahead and use Red Sonja. He said, I'll talk to him. And I said, that's just that's just unfair. And he said, uh, I said, and you know, it's like I don't if you could work it out with him, fine. If I have to do it, I'll do it. You know, and Roy will get mad at me instead. Uh, so Chris said, Well let me call him first. And I said, Okay, fine. Then he called, he's on the phone with Roy for like an hour and a half. And he finally convinces Roy that he didn't get to finish his list and that Roy's name was on it. Best of all, Roy Tom, you know. And so Roy finally relents and let him use Red Sun. So I didn't have to, you know, go in there and pull rank and be an asshole. And so, so I'm, but I'm thinking, like, he didn't name you as one of his influences? And uh -huh. before you're going to, like, strike back at him, you know? What? That's <sighs> just, you know, that, that was over the top. And, but Roy, you know, he was like that. I mean, when, when he was briefly going to come back as editor in chief, uh, they got, Mar was going to go be a contract writer. Uh, Roy was supposed to come back in and replace him. Um, uh, he actually came in and uh, sat down with me. And I said, look, you know, where I come from, if the new boss comes in, the assistants offer to resign and hope to get freelance or something like that so the guy can bring in his own people. I said, so if you want me to leave, I said, it would be very nice if you gave me some, some writing work. I said, but, uh, you know, I'm, I understand. He said, no, I said, I think you do a good job, so you can stay. I said, All right. He said, but I'm getting rid of Vartanoff, I'm getting rid of this person, I'm getting rid of that person, I'm bringing back Friedrich, and I'm doing this, and I don't like this person, they're gone. You know, this whole list of people, you got a clean house, you know, like, holy cow. Um, but then at the last minute, literally at the last minute, he decides, that he's going to know, go to, go to California, try to get in more film work and stuff like that. 
and he says, I'm not, I'm not taking the job. And so, I mean, it's like Marv's last day. Marv's thinking, great, they're going to have to bring me back. You know? mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, and I'm going to screw them on the money. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to No, uh, Stan said, I once promised this job to Jerry Conway, and I, and I got talked into hiring Len Wayne instead. He said, now I'm going to hire Jerry. Or get Golden to hire Jerry. So he did. Jerry was at D.C. again. And so Jerry comes in. And, uh, uh, oh, God, I mean, like, Terry and Len and Marv, they didn't like each other. Mm -hmm. And Jerry had his little hit list, too. He had certain guys he just didn't, didn't want. And uh, so he was there three weeks. And, and three very three destructive weeks. weeks. Yeah, very. Well, he, he, he did his best to keep Englehart, but Englehart was just a schedule problem, and he just refused to budge on anything. And so he, Englehart left. He left, I think he lost Starlin and uh, a few others. And he tried his best to get rid of Len and Mar. Mm -hmm. He really did. I mean, at one point, like he was having fillings done on all Len's books, and you know, sort of high-handedly uh, treating him badly. And, um, and I went to his office and I closed the door. So I was his assistant. I said, "Terry, I said it's almost like you're trying to make it quit." He said, "Of course not." Like that's not a bitch, you know. I'm like, so you're gonna like haze him until he quits. And he, and he says, yeah, I'm gonna get rid of Wolfman. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. So uh, I, I was gonna quit. I was I was ready to quit because I, I said I can't work with this guy, you know. And uh, but then there was like a sort of a citizens vigilance committee that went to stand and you know. Marvin Lyons, other people, Gary's ruining everything. But, but the real reason Jerry left is when he got his first paycheck and he saw what, what money he made after taxes and stuff like that. He said, I can't live on this. And so he quit with a contract to write eight books a month. Eight books right. a month. And, uh, and he couldn't do it. And so before you know it, Don Glute is writing books, his wife is writing books. Um, I'm writing books because they therapy and last minute. I think that's how you ended up on Avengers, right? Yeah, well, that's one reason. I mean, like, because, you know, like, he had all these books and he uh, um, couldn't possibly do them, and I kept having to do them overnight, you know, and possibly got some of them, I guess. But, uh, but I did the best I could. You know, I got 12 hours to do this book. It's half an hour a page. So, uh, uh, you know, I mean, but, you know, we got him out somehow, and and, uh, and then he he couldn't keep up with the eight books at all. He just kept falling behind on the schedule. And so uh, he, uh, he quit and went back to DC. Mm -hmm. Kind of the same reason that George did, because he owed Marvel a lot of money, but he went to DC. He could, he could uh, work something out with it. And in fact, what he worked out with DC is he told them how much money he owed Marvel. They sent a check. Oh, to buy him out. However, what they didn't know is that John Verporten, the production manager, had been doing this, this procedure called lapping. Okay, which is right. when Jerry was behind, what he would do is he would voucher him ahead. He would write the voucher himself to get Jerry paid. So there was all this work that hadn't been done that Jerry was paid for. And uh, so when this check comes, now John is like, how can I explain this check to Barry Kaplan? Because they, they delivered it to John. 
how can I explain this? I can't give him this check without admitting that I've been embezzling. Not for himself. Mm -hmm. To tell, but he did it for Gil King, too. He did it for other people, Frank Gil Court. He died, right? Yeah, of a heart attack. I don't believe that. But anyway. Uh, oh. Anyway, so, 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 so now he's got this check, so it just sits in his drawer. And then finally he sends it back. And uh, the DC people are like puzzled. What's going on here, right? Um, and uh, uh, then I become editor in chief uh, eventually. And uh, uh, the uh, uh, all this stuff starts to come out about the laughing and stuff like that. And, and there was. Uh, pieces start to fall together and we realize but John reported died just before then. Mm -hmm. And I think that he realized with me coming in he was gonna be caught. And, and even though he wasn't doing it for his own benefit, he was probably gonna lose his job and you know, and maybe be in big trouble. And uh, so I don't know if he killed himself or not, but uh, oh, wow. really he's thirty seven years old or something. Yeah, he was not that yeah. old, and I think the, the story was that he had a, a heart attack. But, which is he's a really a, big guy, right? Completely like unknown this. to happen to people in their thirties. Almost but as tall as me, about four hundred pounds. Mm -hmm. uh, very, uh, it looked like a heart attack. What didn't happen? But, mm -hmm. but whatever. I mean, I think that uh, he, you know, mm. he died, and just when all that stuff was about to blow up in his face. Yeah. Uh, he had to keep laughing. So it's so like to, likely, to keep it. It's likely keep that he would have been brought for the prosecutor. Oh yeah, yeah, quite possibly because it was a lot. Of money. Yeah, uh, I think Jerry was like forty thousand. Oh my so, God, that's a lot of money. Yeah, came, I think. Uh, but I, I uncovered it. I mean, like, uh, John there to continue the laughing, and what happens is that somebody vouches this thing that's already vouched to Jerry Conway, and the first person to do that was me. And so I'm called upstairs. We were double vouchered this. I said, I didn't double voucher anything. They said, well, we, this is stories are paid for. You, you, know, you voucher it anyway. I said, I wrote it. You know? And then I started looking at the voucher. I said, that's John Gordon's right. That's not Jerry's right. And so we, we pieced it together and figured it out. This was after he had already passed. Yeah, it's after he died. This is like January, February, after I took over. He'd been laughing this stuff all along for 19 months. Wow. And uh, uh, what he would do is he did that for a while. As much as he, as he could get away with, he put it into dead inventory to get rid of it. You know, and so they think it was in dead inventory. There's no book there. The voucher is no book there. <laughs> so, uh, but it, it was, you know, anyway, Gary uh, uh, did all that, uh, that stuff. And then, like I said, DC was willing to pay him up, pay Marvel up front, and then take it out little by little from Jerry, uh, more than Marvel would have done for him. Um, no, it's like really a lot of crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Uh, but anyway, I ended up writing a lot, of, a lot of the books that Jerry was supposed to have written. And uh, also, it kind of bothered me. I mean, it was like, let's say we contract with you, Jerry. We're paying your rate. And we're getting Don Glue. You know? mm -hmm. Or we're getting your wife, who's never written a comic before her life, and isn't very good. Mm -hmm. yeah. Actually, explain, explains a lot. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just uh, and Roy, Roy did that stuff sometimes too. He had one of the some girlfriend of his owed him money, so he had her writing comics to uh, 
you know, pay, pay off, off a lot. <laughs> Speaking of sort of, <laughs> I was I got a call from this lady who worked for Western Publishing. I right. actually met her because we'd done some. She when she worked for some other publisher, Crown Books, and Crown Books did something with Marvel, and she was involved in that. So I actually met this person, and uh, he had felt that she uh, she worked at Golden Books, and she called me. And she said they they, they they wanted to do a book about ancient manners. Right. And would I be interested in writing? Well, I was interested. In Need work, you know. Yeah. So I, uh, I said, well, wouldn't you get a scientist to do that? And she said, no, we, we hire scientists to check facts. We hire writers to write. I said, good point. So uh, I, I did that book, and I, I, you know, carefully described all the illustrations and stuff. And I'm picturing like, like, like what a Bernie writes to do this, <laughs> and what I get is this tepid, awful stuff. <laughs> and she explained to me that uh, uh, the art director who picked the artists, her name was different, she used her maiden name. Her husband was an agent, and she used her husband and only his artists. Huh. So, so, so she was, all she was the essentially yeah, she's laundering the money through him, right? Yeah. And, right. and so uh, they, you know, they didn't pick the folks, they picked one of his. And uh, this guy was awful. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and Thea told me that. It seemed like everybody at Western knew this. Everybody at uh, Golden Books knew this, except the bosses. Everybody else knew. You know, and, and that she was getting away with this murder. And, but you know, who was going to go and rat her out? You know, so, so my book suffered for it. And then the, the same editor called me you know, months later, and she said, I need a book written over the weekend. I said, yeah. And she said, she's, it's a little book. So, she said, it's 200 words. <laughs> I said, I can do it. She said, I'll pay $1,000. I said, I'm done. I'm doing it. <laughs> and, and so, I wrote Baby Animals on the Farm. Right. Baby Animals on the Farm. Which I'm absolutely certain I have read the one of It's It may be your best-selling work of all time. Well, the Dinosaur's book might be the Okay. Because the Dinosaur book paid me $5,000 for doing all that research. However, I was getting huge royalty checks every year for like 20 years. Because Western sold a lot of those. Yeah, a lot of those. And my, uh, it, what made it all worthwhile is I took my father on a vacation. Uh, he never traveled much or whatever. He wanted to travel. So I was going out to San Diego and I, I, I brought him. So the, during the convention, he amused himself around San Diego. There's lots of stuff. Uh, so then uh, the, the idea was, it was the last time I ever had any vacation, you know, like at the beginning of the Valley Day, a couple weeks. I drove up the coast with him, right? And we get all the way up to, uh, to uh, uh, Seattle, right? And um, I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I, mean, you know, I can't think of anything to entertain him. And I kept noticing him looking at this aircraft taking off from Lake, Lake Union. Mm -hmm. 
airplanes. So we go to Lake Union, I, I, we go to the place where the planes are, and I say, well, we want to we fly somewhere. Where do you go? <laughs> well, we go to Victoria or we go to Vancouver? I mm -hmm. said, well, what's next? Well, we got a flight to Victoria in a little while. I said, okay, we'll take that. And uh, the guy says, well, if you, you know, you, you could uh, get on this, this plane out here right now, and the next one goes in half an hour. I said, is that the next one? It's a little plane. And I said, he said, yeah. And the other one was a big plane. And I said, we'll wait for the little one. The guy said, no, but you could leave right now. I said, I don't want to leave right now. I want to ride on that plane. <laughs> <laughs> and because uh, I knew my father would like that better. And uh, they thought it was great. So, so we get tickets, we sit there for half an hour, we go out and get on this little plane. And we didn't want to want it, because everybody, everybody really had to go to Victoria, had already gone on the big plane. And so the pilot says, he says, why don't you sit in the co-pilot chair? And my father says, yeah, go ahead. And I said, no, you're the one that likes airplanes, you sit in the co-pilot chair. So he got to ride in the co-pilot's chair, he's having the time of his life, yeah. <laughs> he's having a ball. And uh, so that's what we did. The next couple of days, we just flew back and forth to Victoria, or flew back and forth to Vancouver. And while we were in Victoria, I, I said we were going to kill some time there, have lunch and stuff. And they have this uh, Indian museum, uh, Pacific North, Northwest. I live, I live in Seattle. We go to Victoria about four times a year. You know the museum? Yes. Yeah, okay. So we go in there, we're looking around. Right? It's fun. We're seeing all this stuff. And then we go to the gift shop, and there's my book. Oh, wow. <laughs> He must have loved that flight oh, yeah. back and forth to Victoria oh, too, because in that the views in July all the way over Puget Sound, you can see all the San Juans all the way up, probably yeah, nearly to Alaska if you're up high enough. Planes, you know, yeah, and they they were so noisy. The pilot would give you earplugs. He refused the earplugs. He said, "I want to hear everything. <laughs> I want to hear everything." You know, and it was it was so great. It was, so we flew back and forth uh, several times to both places. And uh, walked around a little bit, or had lunch, or something like that. Get on the plane, and go back. It was a blast, you know. It was, it, he had a good time, but uh, that was like the, one of the best things I ever did. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, anyway. So now you got me thinking of home. How much I love the beauty of it. And they wanted me to write another book after I did the the dinosaurs book. That's or dinosaurs, the mammals book. Did so well. They wanted me to write. The first one was after the dinosaurs. The story of ancient mammals and man. So I start with the dinosaurs and I do the evolution and, and stuff, and ended up with you know with the cavemen. Uh, so then that went over so big that they wanted me to do like the evolution of man, just you know back it up a little bit, start with you know Australopithecus or something, and then do do evolution of man. And at that time, I think I was just about starting. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have time, but uh, I wish I had. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And they never kind of tested me because I didn't, didn't do that. <laughs> didn't do that ancient man book. So I kind of closed that door. Oh, interesting times. Yeah, you never know what's going to come your way. JJ was working for this company called Display Technologies, and they needed cell sheets written. And so, uh, and they had some writer who really weren't happy with the writers they had. 
So she said, you know, we should try this guy. I've never written that before, but for a couple hundred bucks, I'm writing cell sheets. And, you know, it's better than sitting there doing nothing. Yeah. And then uh, this, I, I'm, I'm doing pretty well at that. And I was getting a fairly steady, not enough to make a living, really, but at least it was money. And then uh, this executive from Display Technologies calls me up and says, would you write a letter for me? Sure. It pays $100. I said, okay. So she gave me a draft that was sort of barely in English. I figured out what she was trying to say. I wrote the letter for her, and I got $100. And so then all the executives at Display Technologies <laughs> are sending me these crummy, illiterate letters, and I'm turning them into real letters. It's not a little cottage industry writing letter. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. I did. I did uh, sell sheets for some company that does uh, uh, foreign sales of movies. I did anything, anything you know that I could do to make money when I didn't couldn't get comics work. You know, and uh, you know, no pride there. You know, whatever, whatever it took. You know, so then I saw I ended up doing some kind of weird stuff. For someone who mentioned a few times he's never been to college, you definitely have learned about lots of topics. I, I mean, I you, you, you definitely have your intellectual curiosity, too. You know, like, that's, I have to hand it to Mort. I mean, he sat me down with George Klein to talk to me about inking. Okay, sure, whatever you say. Sat me down with Tatiana Wood to learn about color. Uh, Jack Adler, explaining production, explaining in-house production, explaining printing production. You know, distribution, the whole thing. And I kept thinking, why is he doing this? You know, um, he explained that, like he, the, the, the stuff that he was for the media and merchandise licensing, uh, uh, merchandising, uh, marketing, uh, every aspect of it. And I'm thinking, I'm a writer. Why is he doing this? Yeah. But uh, and, you know, of course, the artists. I worked with the artists. Kurt would always send me those letters, and, and uh, other artists uh, would, would give me. I'm the show March song to the tune of Mickey Mouse, and uh, uh, everybody had to wear a mask. You can see the eyes are cut out. That's a mask, and uh, they videotaped and sent it to Michelle. Yeah, crazy. This is a terrible tie that they made us wear. <laughs> uh, these are one March 15th. My staff murdered me uh, with cardboard daggers. And then I made them all sign the dagger. Every, I'll go, I go in the office, they're all saying, where are the eyes of March? Where are the eyes of March? And then all of a sudden, they, I look up, and they're all behind me. And they've got the hardware the daggers, and they kill me. So this is, uh, this is Bob Harris, yeah. Tom DeFalco, Mark Grove. Oh. I, I have all the daggers, but I have all of them. Oh. I kept them. Yep. That's not every day your staff murders <laughs> This was, uh, I bought lunch for the bullpen. Dave Cochran made me a little thank you card. They haven't paid. Katie colored it. See, where's the worst This is a rare thing. I don't know, you guys know Fred Hembeck? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know what Fred is. Okay, so Fred did some stuff for us, and that was cool. Uh, so he was up at the office one day, and he's just hanging around. And he, for reasons unknown to me, draws a picture of Superman. Okay. Rubenstein saw it. He said, I'm going to ink that. Okay. So he let Joe ink it, and then Marie saw it. She said, I want to color that. <laughs> well, she didn't have any reference, so you'll notice that Superman's yeah. shield is the wrong color. But she's a colorist, so she thought, naturally, you would put yellow against the blue, right? 
no. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, that is a rare piece of art. Yeah. You got Hembeck, Rubenstein, and Severin. That's that's going somewhere. Beautiful. You know about this. You know about the wedding. You know about that. This is a piece of Kirby art. When I first started at Marl, I worked there for three weeks. Is that the prisoner? No. That's the Fantastic so Four. But, uh... Oh, yeah, because there's the wonderful lizard. And there's the torch, and there's yeah. the Fantastic okay. Four. So I worked for Marvel for three weeks in 1969, and uh, uh, I couldn't act because I, I hadn't moved to New York and I didn't have any money, and I didn't eat for two weeks, and so I couldn't take it. So I had to reluctantly leave. But anyway, while I was there, I said maybe I'd like to learn to be an anchor. And uh, Saul Brodsky, who was Stan's, anything, Stan did everything he wanted to do, which was creative, and then Saul did um, anything that was legal, technical, financial, or complicated. And so production and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I, 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 so I, whoever I ask, I ask Marie, I guess. She says, "Well, go see Saul." So I right, go see Saul. And Saul says, "He's well here. I'll give you a couple pages to ink. You can show me what you got." Right. He takes this gigantic stack, like a, more than a ream, of pages, all curly, all curly, rejected pages. Oh my God! Rejected pages that are piled up over the years. Yeah. In that pile was Kirby's original drawing of Spider-Man. Wow. Nice. Uh, I held it in my hand. Uh, you know, I never forget it. It's a Captain America boots, a belt, you know, uh, he had a web gun. But anyway, so that's why they went with the Ditko one. But so he gave, <laughs> yeah. they gave me his page, he told me to ink it. So I inked it as faithfully. I didn't have the right tools or anything, but I inked it as faithfully as I could. Took it back to Saul. I showed it to Marie. She said, hey, you got possibilities. Took it to Saul. He said, it's no good. I said, well, tell me why. He said, well, it's, 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 it's all, he said, it's, it's cluttered and busy, and that's why it was rejected, and it's still cluttered and busy. I said, you told me to ink it. You didn't tell me to fix it. <laughs> he said, well, you, you, just don't, you, know, you just don't understand that, you know? Yeah. I said, all right, I'm uh, forgetting. This is uh, another one I drew, <laughs> but Jim wouldn't ink. See, as long as I had a good inker who would fix things, <laughs> I didn't do too bad. This is real art. This is David Lapham. He gave me this page. And then when he when he gave me that page, JJ saw that and she said, "Well, I'll give you the color and go with it." And there it is. And the the word balloons you saw back there that that's from this. Oh, okay. so they were pasted up, but they came with. So anyway, yeah, that's that's uh, that's the David Lapham page. Uh, this is just filler stuff that I did for Dark Horse. That's a I just threw it in there to fill the last page. That's a. Uh, Solicitation piece we did for Magnus. Anyway, that's 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 my stuff. I take this to conventions. I take that all kinds of stuff. I take these to show people. I used to lay out the covers, and then Neil would draw them. These are two of the best-selling Legion covers of all time. And you did the layouts for those. I, mean, I did the layouts, and then Neil would take what I did, obviously. And uh, Mort was always pushing you about covers, right? Yeah, yeah. So, oh, P.S. If you had a story idea, Mort would say the first thing you out, out of his mouth would be, "What's the cover?" If you didn't have a cover idea, I don't want it. This is the original plot for Harbinger, written 1988. Wow. This is Wally Wood's 22 panels that always work. Right. Familiar? Uh, this is a couple of custom comics I did. This is for Kraft General Foods, two million copies. That for KFC, one million copies. Half in Spanish, half in English, both of them. Oh, 
Oh yeah, Jesusaurus Rex. Yeah. yeah, that's a damn good con. <laughs> <laughs> a good con. That's right up there with the region, yeah. I saw that on uh, the mycomicshop.com bibliography. <laughs> One of the ways Nasarsky got involved oh, with uh, yeah, with uh, Nintendo was that Nintendo, uh, um, he knew some producers who had gone to Nintendo and had gotten the rights to do a Nintendo CD. Yeah. And so Nasarsky talking to them, that's how he got in the door there. And this there's actually some, you know, uh, some real artists on here. So Roy Orbison, uh, Dire Straits, uh, Sheena Easton. Anyway, uh, no, don't break it. So what they wanted, this job kept getting more and more complicated. We did not do the cover art. Somebody else did the cover art. But what they wanted was for us to do a little illustrated story that went with the song. And the songs are pretty random. <laughs> I drove all night, you know, stuff like that. And they said, oh, and the story has to be about literacy. And they, I mean, they're trying, trying to play every angle they could. So I wrote this little story, and I'm very proud of it. And every time you get to the end of a, one of these things, it says, song cue. <laughs> and uh, here's the, I drove all night. Um, and uh, anyway, it's a story, and basically it's about uh, Koopa uh, steals this, he kidnaps the princess, and he has this, he steals this magic book but he can't read, he's illiterate. And so the princess is captive, but she teaches his kids to read, and they're so grateful that they help him get away. So anyway, it was, it was you know, that got him into, that made Nintendo very happy, and then they started using him for entertainment mode. And uh, that was a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mixed ending there. Yeah, but, uh, but that was, I liked that book, I thought it was good. I just got a bunch of old business cards and stuff. But um, what else? Yeah, this is uh, this is an old Strange Tales: Human Torch versus Captain America. Captain America turns out to be an imposter. I think Captain America. Yeah. yeah. This is actually reprinted in Captain America number two sixteen, and I, I advise people to buy the, the reprint because this is expensive, even though it's in ratty shape. Uh, this uh, is the one that you used. This is the one I used for my storytelling lecture. And so I, 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 actually, I got Chuck to get me a Whitman copy of this, so I can, I don't have to beat this thing up anymore when I give the lecture <laughs> and yeah. the shows. That's another comic book creator yellow thing. This is Stan's persona ad. Before Transformers. There were mysterious. Mysterious. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, there are. Wow. Uh. And uh, so, yeah. the, the Knickerbocker toys on them. They hired DC Comics to do kind of what we did for GI Joe. And DC butchered it. I mean, they whoever they got to write this. This is a comic for kids. They got the dams and hells and swearing in it. It's sexy. It's extra violent. I'm thinking it's a, it goes with a toy. It's but uh, so anyway, then and then DC charged them like a phenomenal amount of money, and then it was garbage; they couldn't use it. So uh, so they came to us, and they said, "Can you do this?" You know, and I said, "Yeah, I can do it." So we started to create a storyline to go with this. In the middle of it, Knickerbocker was purchased by Hasbro, 
Hasbro bought them so that there wouldn't be a competitor on the market because they had already gotten the rights to uh, Transformers, which was another Japanese technology. And uh, so, having already started working on this, the Sterians yeah. and having some ideas, and then Bob Prubus walks into my office, puts a transformer on the, on the desk, and opens it up and says, why does it do that? <laughs> and I said, I'll figure it out. <laughs> so, uh, so I figured it out. This is uh, Forbes, Forbes Magazine, after Valiant. They did an article here. It's called uh, How Not to Start a, a, a Company or What to Do When Your Partner Starts Sleeping with the Banker. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. This is... Uh, I've actually been looking for this issue of yeah. Forbes. It's... Uh, here's the blurb. Where is it? Is this here? Here it is. Well, that's it. And here. Oh, right. What do you do when your partner says he's sleeping with a venture capitalist who backs your business? Uh, what do you do when partners sleep together? Older, wiser, and starting over. Jim Shooter reveals all. And this is the article, How Not to Start a Company. And the idiot photographer does the cliché upshot because I'm tall. Yes, of course. But they, they pretty much, I mean, look, the lady's a journalist. She's not going to do anything, like, in my favor that isn't factual. You could probably so she, she did it carefully. Like if you took a photo of it. And yeah, she did like actually talk to them. They refused to talk to her. They basically said, if he says anything that's a lie, we'll sue him. Well, they never sued me. Wow. And, uh... uh so, clearly... Yeah, wow. so... so, it so it probably means about as much as Trump threatening to sue somebody. Yeah, yeah well, anyway, so, so then, uh... Playgirl... Uh, decided I was one of the 50 most eligible bachelors. Right. <laughs> So in their 50th issue, uh, I became bachelor number 36. <laughs> and uh, P.S. I killed it. This, uh, this magazine died after they put me in. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. But hey, I, I beat out Lyle Alzado. Yes, you did. I think the uh, <laughs> David Lee Roth was number one. Uh, oh, wow. But I have to oh, trust okay, that really shows how old that magazine is. So anyway, lots of uh, fun stuff. I take this with me and spread it out on the table for because people keep wanting to buy it. For sale. <laughs> I kept it. It's because I wanted. It. Well, I literally have looked for that issue of Forbes because you know? it's um, it's like one of the few really objective articles about comics that's out there. In that era, anyway. Now, given how thoroughly you've documented all this stuff, have you ever already thought about writing a book about your experience? Well, I, I cover a lot of it on the blog. The blog, yeah. Well, yeah, but... No, I mean, yes, I have thought about it, and there's, there's never enough time. Yeah. No one's willing to pay me to do this. Well, Sounds like you're still busy working. I, I, I work every day. I don't mm -hmm. always get paid. But I work, <laughs> work every day. That sounds yeah, I, you know, I, I, I keep busy. I, I do get a lot of little jobs. I just got a, a little job writing the uh, about this book section for the comic book price guide. Right. And, um, uh, which is nice, a little eight-page comic section. You know, they do it in comic format. So, uh, they, every year they've been doing it, it's been kind of just, you know, really boilerplate stuff. The only thing they would do is they would have Different characters uh, happening in, in, the, in this little thing where they're explaining how to use the price guide and how to how to grade your comics and all that stuff. 
So this year they said uh, to me, uh, we want to spice this up. We want this to be a lot more fun. And, you know, this has to have the boilerplate. Can you do something more interesting? So I said, sure, okay. So they got bat and lash to draw it. And, um, and I said, well, I see you use all these characters. Said, what characters can I use? Said, Any characters you want. Said, because we get the right symbol. I said, all right. So I did a story that has Marvel characters in it, DC characters, as well as some independent. I got, I got a, a manga character and all kinds of characters. And uh, so I turned it in, and the guy called me and said, I might need some tweaks. I said, well, sure, what? He said, um, we can't use DC characters or Marvel characters. I said, what? You told me I could use anything. He said, yeah, well, uh, I meant like any independent characters. I said, well, you didn't That's say that. Kind of a big difference. <laughs> big difference. So anyway, he said, well, we'll just have to start over, I guess. He said, we'll pay you. He said, but we'll have to just start over. And I said, I said, well, let me call somebody I know at Marvel. So I called uh, uh, David Bogart. I told him the situation. I sent him the script. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, he said, go ahead. You may proceed. So then I called uh, Diane Nelson, and she, she won't return. Yeah, you see, we did the same thing with the book. This is the book I put out through tomorrow's I was referring to. And, of course, we couldn't uh, we couldn't uh, use Marvel or DC characters on the cover. So, yeah. Captain Canuck and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. well, for Captain Canuck. Right, it's your yeah, proud Canadian. Yeah, I just ran into him. I was up in Toronto. I ran into him. I hadn't seen him for years. The, uh, uh, what's your Kelly? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I do little jobs here and there. I haven't had any mainstream comics for a while. I do the occasional custom comic. These are old, but I've, I've done some, some. We did uh, Junior Achievement asked us to create a character for them. Uh, different stuff, you know. I mean, little little things here and there. Not. I mean, after your bad experience with you know, superheroes and then Turok, I mean, are you at all interested in doing more comics? If you I like comics, sure. Yeah. Comics didn't like it. <laughs> True. But I mean, just the way the medium is. No, the medium sucks. And yeah. The, the big players are really nasty and, and you know. Did yeah. you ever think about if you had the opportunity doing something with, like, you know, Image or Dark, Dark Horse again? Well, it's funny you should say that. This guy named uh, John Boy Myers, uh, he heard me talk at a, at a convention. I actually heard him talk a little bit too, and he was saying the right things. He was, he yeah. was talking about. Um, the importance of story and storytelling, which for an image artist who's saying this is kind of yeah. weird. But uh, so anyway, uh, uh, so I'm sitting at my table and he comes up to my table and he says, uh, he says, I want to do something with you. And I said, well, like what? He said, well, let's create something together. Yeah. And he said, okay, come on. So, so uh, we decided 50-50, you know, and uh, we just, uh, you know, cook, cook, cook up some ideas. Yeah. So then, uh, almost as soon as I got home, I get this email from him that says, well, I've got this thing I've been wanting to do forever. It's a Western. And I said, okay, I can do a Western. Whatever you need, you know? Yeah. So we started on that. I did some research and stuff like that. He, he was, like, writing down ideas. He, he, he's a very good artist. He's perhaps not a good writer. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, I mean, it, not... I mean, that's not his game. He's not uh, as literate. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's an artist. Right. So he had the Dalai Lama being Chinese, and he had, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. 
and uh, so I straightened it out for him, and I was trying to make sense of what he did. And that, I've done that a lot. Take yeah. take crazy stuff and uh -huh. make sense. And uh, almost like a script doctor. Yeah, 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 and it was it was actually kind of fun. It was going along, and then he then he uh, sends me an email, and he says, you know, this is really mine. And, you know, maybe it shouldn't be fifty-fifty. And I, 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 why don't you do it work for hire? So I, I wrote back to him and I said, look, you know, you go ahead. You know, I'll, I'll sit this one out. You know, no hard feelings. I'll send you all the reference I got, all the books. If you have any questions, call me up. I'll be glad to, you know, kibitz with you. And, uh, um, you know, you know, dot it up. And uh, so he danced off and he's doing it himself, I guess. But that sort of got the idea in my head. Well, why don't I do it? Why don't I just go find somebody who, you know, who's got some chops? And do it. No, they haven't heard the last of me. I, I told Neil, I was sitting there talking to him. I said, I'm not done yet. I've got stuff I can do. I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm on Social Security. I make a little money here and there. And I, I do okay. But, uh, you know, it'd be nice to do something. Also, if I if I did something like that, something current, something yeah. with Neil, uh, this might, I might have to, I don't I know. I might have to go on the answer. Uh, uh, it would sort of refresh me. I mean, all of a sudden, uh, there'd be more things for me to sign at conventions. Or more, more, probably more conventions would invite me. And uh, um, ha, starter. Those guys, they are just great. So, so anyway, uh, you know, that'd be good to do. Oh, thank you.